Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Today we're going to read from the Gospel of John, the Easter story in John 20, verses 1 through 18. Uh, we don't always do this, but sometimes on high holy days, special occasions, particularly when we read the Gospel stories, we stand to hear those. So I'm going to invite you this morning to stand as we share in the reading from the Gospel of John. You may follow along on the screen or in the bulletin or in your own Bible. You may choose to simply close your eyes and take in these sacred and holy words. Here again the story of Easter. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. He went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had heard this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. You may be seated. Will you join me in a spirit and attitude of prayer? Holy God, as we gather this morning, our hearts are full of thanksgiving. We give thanks for this place and this community. We give thanks for friends and family who have gathered alongside of us. We give thanks for the faithful who have come before us. We give thanks for this hour that has been set apart, that our hearts might be lifted up and knit together in your presence alongside one another, celebrating again your love that was made known, is made known through the resurrection of our Lord. God, as we gather for worship today, we come with many concerns and causes on our mind, already anxious about our tasks ahead for the coming week. God, I pray that in this hour, in this moment, as we've read from these sacred words, that we might rest in your goodness and care, your kindness and grace, that you might draw us close to you once more, that we might hear the hope that is the resurrection story, the Easter story, made real for us in our lives today. This is our prayer this morning. 
Let us say together, amen. Woman, why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? This is the question raised to Mary, both by the angels who find her there at the empty tomb, as well as Jesus before she realizes who he is. Woman, why are you weeping? I hear that question echoing for all of us today. We might imagine ourselves in the feet of Mary, in the place of Mary, hearing Jesus saying to us, Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Today we read the gospel story according to John, and you know from hearing other similar stories, perhaps the Easter story, that the gospel of John tells the life and ministry of Jesus a little bit differently. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They offer a synopsis of Jesus' life. They read very similarly. Matthew, Mark, and Luke line up in very similar ways. John is quite different. It rearranges some of the events of Jesus' life, and it tells the story of Jesus' life with some some idea of what is to come in the future. In fact, when you read through the Gospel of John, you find these these little nuggets over and over again where the writer of John, often through the words of Jesus, is reminding us as readers and hearers of what is going to happen in the future. It begins in John 3 in the story with Nicodemus where Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again and Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Son of Man will one day be lifted up. That's one of the first allusions in John 3 to Jesus' eventual resurrection, being lifted up, but, but his death as well, being lifted up on a cross. And then we find these other little nuggets throughout where Jesus tells the disciples things like, you know, you have the poor with you, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me with you. John 12 and 13 are where things really come to a head. Those are some of the texts we read on Monday, Thursday, leading into Good Friday. These are the final moments of Jesus' life. He says things like this. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of the world will be driven out. I will be lifted up from earth and will draw all people to myself. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. A little bit later in John 13, we read, Little children, I am only with you a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. We read a little bit further where Jesus talks about what is about to happen, the betrayal, the death, the resurrection. And finally, he says, be comforted, knowing that one day you will be with me. There will be a place for you in my Father's house. So there are these nuggets over and over again telling Jesus' disciples, as well as us as hearers and readers of the gospel, where this story is headed. Throughout John's gospel, there is no doubt. There's nothing left to the imagination about what will happen to Jesus. He will be betrayed, he will be put to death unlawfully, and then he will be resurrected, and eventually he will be ascended. And yet, despite the fact that his disciples know all of these things, they are still met with an enormous sense of shock and grief as the events unfold. We might see similar patterns in our own lives. We know that the world is a a dangerous and difficult place. We know that sometimes terrible things will happen, but, but there's a difference between knowing that sort of intellectually, that something bad might happen one day, and actually experiencing it for ourselves. So that is the scene on this Easter morning. The shock and the grief and the disappointment of all of the events of Good Friday, Christ's death and burial, and now his body has gone missing. And so Jesus comes to Mary and says, Mary, why are you weeping? 
Why are you weeping? I want to invite you this morning, if you can, to kind of put yourself in, in Mary's shoes, to stand in her place. I want to invite you, as you're able, to imagine, imagine as you're able, Jesus asking you a similar question. Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? As I was thinking about that phrase, I was thinking about the times in life when I have cried. Sometimes there were good reasons and sometimes there weren't. I remember in Little League Baseball, I wore my heart on my sleeve, as they sometimes say. Uh, One night I was pitching and I hit five batters in one game. Five batters right in the ribs. And I remember by the end of the game, this one little kid was scared to get in the batter's box, right? Some would call that intimidation, uh, but it was awfully embarrassing for me. And I remember crying that night when I got home. I remember crying my freshman year of college, just kind of navigating that new world, being homesick, not knowing how to make friends and get to know new people and being away from my sources of comfort and support. I remember seeing my parents cry, sometimes for reasons I understood and sometimes for reasons I didn't. Of course, I've, I've been witness to my own family crying, my wife crying, and, and trying to offer a word of comfort or encouragement. How many times have you seen your children crying and you ask them, why are you crying, right? Why are you weeping? We have many reasons to weep. There are some reasons that are sort of beyond us, some big reasons, some worldly reasons. It seems like now, I guess over a year, as I've come to my sermon prep each week, as I've been reviewing news headlines and notes, the, the stories of Ukraine and Russia continue to be at the forefront. Particularly, I'm, I'm saddened by the scenes of Ukrainian Christian worshipers who are navigating their, their worshiping life in very trying circumstances. And certainly we weep for those people. A couple of months ago, we, of course, have continued to follow the news surrounding the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, some um, 57,000 dead, some 120,000 injured. And so we weep for those people can only imagine the crying and the lament that came along with that event. We weep over political turmoil and tension, racial unrest, the news headlines that are always before us, always bringing more and more discomfort and challenge and concern. I started working on this sermon a couple of weeks ago before the baby was born, knowing I needed to get ahead a little bit of my usual schedule. And so I had here in this section to say something about the tornadoes in Rolling Fork, Mississippi, and the damage that had been done there. Of course, little did we know uh, that last Friday we would have our own tornadoes here in Arkansas. I know many of you have contacts and friends and family members. I think some of your family members have even experienced the damage. Some homes have been damaged in Little Rock and certainly in Wynn. We're following Wynn a little more closely because it's closer to us. The schools there, as well as the First United Methodist Church in Wynn, is on the same street, greatly damaged. So we're weeping for those people. When I was working on the sermon and I read that phrase, why are you weeping? This was the same time as the news that came out about the gun violence in Nashville at the Covenant School and the Covenant Presbyterian Church. And certainly being a parent myself, Nashville being a few hours away, my heart is broken for those events and for the similar activities that happen across our country all too often. Jill and I don't know anyone directly impacted, but we have friends of friends that go to the Covenant School in Nashville. We have friends of friends who are tied to that tragedy, and so we are weeping for them, heartbroken for them, and for the losses they've incurred. Why are you weeping? It could be a spiritual question, right? Why are you weeping? Perhaps this morning it's your first time back in church in a while. Perhaps when you come to church, you feel some distance or some animus. Maybe there's something that's happened in your life that you feel like you're not as close to God as you used to be, that you wouldn't count yourself as a friend of God, but instead you feel like a stranger to God. And maybe this morning's a little bit uncomfortable for you, and so you're weeping about the distance between you (coughs) and the divine. 
Maybe you're weeping for other people, for the church. I worry about the church and its future. I weep for our participation and how we get people engaged. Do we, do we still have people who believe in God, who want to believe in God? Or have we just exchanged our, our church traditions for secular traditions? All that is to say, when we hear Jesus asking Mary, why are you weeping? We could answer in many ways ourselves. And I suspect today that if each of you wrote a list of reasons you are weeping, either internally or externally, you could come up with a long list. The key figure in today's gospel reading from the gospel according to John is Mary Magdalene. Now the key figure, of course, other than Jesus, but she is the key figure who's highlighted in John's reading. I want to talk to you a little bit about Mary Magdalene and why I think she's an important figure for us today. First of all, just her name, Mary Magdalene. Magdala is a city, a city on the coast of Tiberias, a small fishing village. And so Mary Magdalene, she's, she's not her last name. She's being referred to according to the place that she is from. So that's kind of unique in itself. She's not being referred to by her family of origin, but instead where she come from. Now, Mary Magdalene doesn't get a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, emphasis in John's gospel. But if you go to the other gospels, you will read her name many, many times over. In fact, Mary Magdalene is a, is a central disciple Her name is as mentioned as much as any of the male disciples. She has an incredible story in Luke 8 and in Mark 16. It tells us that she had been been overcome with seven demons. And so when she met Jesus, Jesus cast the demons out of her. She's converted. She's saved. And as a part of that salvation experience, she becomes a dedicated disciple of Jesus. And so we have Mary Magdalene all along the Jesus story at all the key points. There's some indications that maybe she comes from a, a family with wealth or means or resources, and so she's supporting Jesus' ministry, including those disciples following him. We read about Mary Magdalene at the, the, the most horrific events, the death of Jesus. She's there at the cross. She's there when he dies. And, of course, she's the first one there this morning at the empty tomb. There's no more central figure in terms of Jesus' disciples than Mary Magdala. And today we celebrate her going there, longing and hoping to find Jesus, only to be disappointed that his body is missing. Sometimes Mary Magdala is called the apostle to the apostles because, if you will notice, she is the first one that hears the good news of Easter and goes and tells others. Jesus tells her so plainly this morning, go and tell the others what you have seen and what you have heard. And so she runs forward proclaiming, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that Mary Magdalene is a unique and important figure. She has a distinct story as a disciple of Jesus Christ. She's a special character in the gospel story, including today on Easter morning. Notice verse 16. This is the moment where everything changes. Before verse 16, there is grief and horror, there is darkness and shame, there is fear, there's concern. But then in verse 16, as Jesus begins to engage Mary, everything changes with one word. Mary. Mary. And it's at that moment that the scales fall off of Mary's eyes that she looks up and she sees what has actually happened and she says, Jesus, Rabuni, he is alive. What a a poignant and yet very personal moment that Jesus, the resurrected Lord, recognizes his longtime disciple and calls her by name, Mary. Now, I'm a little sensitive to being called by your first name and being called by your name correctly. Uh, As you all know, my name is Dane. That's really my middle name. My first name is William. So in professional settings, they call me William. Uh, And then I usually get around to saying, well, I go by my middle name. My middle name is Dane. 
Dane sounds pretty clear to me, but boy, it has been a struggle in my life, all right? I have been all, all sorts of things. I've been called Dana pretty regularly, which is fine. That's a good name. I've been called uh, Dan quite often, uh, Dave a time or two. They thought the N was a misspelling or something. In fact, this just happened in the hospital with a new baby. They would come in. This is the mother, Jill, and this is the father, Dan. <laughs> Do I look like a Dan to you? No, right? I can remember in elementary school basketball tournaments using the PA, they would announce our names, and I was called all of those things. I learned to correct people early on. Hi, I'm Dane, like a great Dane. I'm Dane, and that usually solves it. I'm sensitive to being called by my name and being called by my name correctly. You may have a name like that as well. It feels good when people know who you are, when they say your name, when they affirm who you are. Now, sometimes names change, right? We have stories in the Bible, Abram and Sarah become Abraham and Sarah, right? Uh, Simon becomes Peter, Saul becomes Paul. So it's not as if though our names are, are always the same. Sometimes we take on new names or nicknames or married names, but you get the idea. When everyone knows our name and calls our name, when they know us for who we are, that's an important moment. Something similar is happening here with Jesus and Mary. It's an incredibly personal moment that Jesus sees and affirms who she is, and it's in that time that she recognizes who Jesus is. An interesting story came across the pastoral emails that I get this week. It wasn't necessarily a major headline, but, but you may have seen it. I want to flesh it out with you just a little bit. The gentleman that you see in these pictures, his name is Jeff Woodkey. Uh, he is a longtime Christian missionary aid worker in North Africa. Uh, he worked with a group called Tear Fund and some other groups, some nonprofits that supply food and other uh, items needed to those who live in these greatly impoverished areas. Uh, I didn't know his story, didn't know a whole lot about the back, the back story until the, the highlights of his celebration uh, were made known this week. Uh, for the last six years, Mr. Woodkey, Jeff Woodkey, has been held captive, six years held captive by terrorists in North Africa demanding a ransom. So you can imagine this is a great place of great poverty. There isn't a lot of resources or opportunities. This is one way that people think that they could earn money or make money holding an American citizen captive. Uh, his wife has done a few press conferences where she has said that his captors are demanding a multi-million dollar ransom. The United States Departments of, uh, uh, of Defense and others have been involved trying to navigate his release. And this week, this past week, he got to come home. Uh, you can see on the left, there he is a few years ago giving a sermon, giving a talk at a church. Uh, and there he is on the right as he was released and returned home. Uh, much thinner, disheveled, he looks quite a tired. I'm trying to imagine what it was like to be held captive in North Africa by terrorists for six years. Certainly he didn't have any of the amenities that we would come to expect. Uh, obviously they, they kept him alive, but you can't imagine that they did much more. The thing that I kept thinking about this week was, like, I wonder if anyone called him by name. He probably knows enough about the language to communicate, to get by, but, but I highly doubt that for six years being held a prisoner, being used as a bartering chip for a ransom, I just highly doubt that anyone for six years called him Jeff. And I wonder what it was like as he came home through the airport, as he was greeted by his family and friends, when they said, Jeff! Jeff, it is so good to see you. Jeff, you're alive. Jeff, welcome home. Or maybe it wasn't his name proper. Maybe it was other titles like Dad, Dad, Grandpa, welcome home. 
today as we read this Easter story and as we think about the work of Mary Magdalene as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there are two kind of questions and themes that are resonating with me. Why are you weeping? And who knows your name? And when was the last time that God called you by name? In Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches one of the first Easter sermons. It's the early beginnings of Christianity. In just a few verses here, Peter tries to summarize what has happened in Jesus Christ. And so he makes this grand sweeping story about the God of Israel and the work that was done in the people of the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, and how in Jesus Christ, God has done a new thing. Here are a few highlights. He says, Jesus Christ is Lord of all, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. I want you to hear what Peter's doing in that Easter sermon. I hope you hear something similar today, that what what has happened in Easter and what has happened in Jesus is not an abstraction. This is not a feel-good story about the love of God. This is not just to be some word of encouragement. What happened in Easter is that the God of the universe, the creator of all, came to be as one of us that lived among us, took on a name, Jesus, meaning God saves. Jesus Christ, Christ meaning the anointed Messiah. Jesus Christ from Nazareth, born to a family in Nazareth. The God of the universe took on a name, took on a body, did good for all he encountered, was put to death, and then God brought him back to life. This is not just positive thoughts and good vibes. This is a real story. It's not necessarily romantic or encouraging because it involves the reality of of Good Friday. There's no Easter Sunday without the death on Good Friday. There's, There's no good news today. There's no celebration without acknowledging the challenges and fears, the griefs that came before. And so it is with us. Mary, why are you weeping? Jesus, I have seen the Lord. On Easter Sunday, we remember the heart-wrenching story that brought Jesus to his death, but we celebrate the good news that despite the fact that the worst thing ever happened, that that worst thing was not the final thing. That the worst moment is not the final moment, that there's another moment to come, that there's good news to come, the power of the resurrection at work in Christ and now at work in our world as well. Why are you weeping? I remind you today, friends, that your tears are not the final word. Your tears are not the last word. That the power of God is at work in this world, just as it was in Jesus Christ and His resurrection. That same power is at work in your life even now. That the same God who was raised from the dead so many years ago knows your name just like He knew Mary's name. This is a God of personal salvation. This isn't just a a cosmic math problem. This isn't just the way that God took care of sin. This is the way that God saves us, each of us, individually, in our own grief and in our own weeping. I hope you hear that good news today for you personally, in your own heart. Why are you weeping? Hear Jesus call your name, Mary, Dane. Hear Jesus call your name. Invite you to new life, invite you to the joy and hope of the resurrection, knowing that there is more to this story than the tears with which it began. Friends, today is Easter Sunday, and we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord both some 2,000 years ago and the continued work of the resurrection in our lives, even here and now. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We give thanks for the stories and the scriptures. We are reminded of the goodness of your love at all times and all places. God, we can sense with Mary that there are many reasons for grief and disappointment, for fear and anguish. And yet we come to praise and celebrate that our worst days are not our last days, that our most difficult moments are not our final moments, that you are at work in the world, that you are at work in our lives, that you are naming us, calling us to know again your hope and care, to know again your love that is the resurrection. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.